This episode of WTIP's Boundary Waters podcast is brought to you by Borderland Lodge on scenic Gunflint Lake, now offering online booking and winter specials for visitors on the Gunflint Trail. Enjoy the magic of the Boundary Waters with a three-night stay in one of our updated cabins or lodge rooms and enjoy the fourth night free. Or stay two nights and get 50% off your third night. Head north this winter for adventure, rest, or just to get away for a bit with a stay in one of our lodge rooms or cabins and enjoy modern amenities, complete with breathtaking panoramic views of beautiful Gunflint Lake. Borderland Lodge is an intimate resort dedicated to helping you, your friends, or your family have a memorable Boundary Waters experience. Take your pick of lodge rooms with floor-to-ceiling lake views or pet-friendly knotty pine cabins ranging from two to four bedrooms. There's plenty of adventure just beyond our doors this winter with excellent Gunflint Lake ice fishing, quick access to Upper Gunflint Nordic Ski Trail and Banadad Trail, and the Gunflint Snowmobile Trail. In the summer, we're a short paddle to Boundary Waters Entry Point 57 through Magnetic Lake, where you can sit under a waterfall, pick blueberries, and meander along an international border. Our pricing is inclusive. Guests enjoy a hearty continental breakfast with baked goods and hot entrees served daily, complimentary ice and firewood, use of kayaks, canoes, and snowshoes, and access to boat and pontoon rentals. Visit borderlandlodge.com for availability and booking or call 218-388-2233. Find us on social media through our handle at Borderland Lodge. Borderland Lodge is proud to be a member of the Gunflint Trail Association. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were both introduced to as kids. You know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast, then you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking. We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake, and I remember catching walleye there before. I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters. And it's, it was really cool. It was my first time. The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh, we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Welcome to episode 81 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. Start of a new season. Season six is upon us, Matthew Baxley. You said it, Joe Fredericks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we go. Let's kick things off the winter by getting in a canoe. Wait, what? We're going to head back to the open water. We've got... uh, Beautiful story to share with you. Well, beautiful in a painful kind of way. Indeed. And a friend of mine recently said, you know, the biggest mishaps on a trip usually make for the best stories. And it all started for us way back when. Scott and Emily Burdett. Canoe Copia. The first time we were there, 2019, we met Scott and Emily, father-daughter duo, it's kind of how we call them. I think they call themselves the father-daughter duo. Exactly. They're 
trips that they shared with us have over the years taken them into all sorts of parts of Quetico. And they were excited to share with us that they were going further to Wabakimi this year. Stop by the radio station. That's right, they did. Uh, made sure to connect with us. Like so many of you listeners do, we always like connecting and staying up to date on what's going on. And they were going to be passing through Grand Marais, stopped at the radio station just to say hi and really to tell us how excited they were about the trip. <laughs> right, yeah. We gave them a tour, hung out for a bit. It's a beautiful summer day before they were going up. And they told us about this route they were taking Without too much more giving away anything about it, let's jump into their story. We were uh, we were just coming out of um, we were coming out of a very tough portage, and it was right before the toughest portage. When you think back to what happened at the end of that trip, what's it like to hear that months later? It's tough. It's still tough to listen to that. That was audio from our 2022 dad-daughter wilderness camping trip. Let's talk about it. I'm Emily. And I'm Scott, Emily's dad. We've been exploring the woods together since Emily was three years old. She first got hooked that summer. After our boat motor died on the way back to our outpost cabin, we had done a fly into a remote lake or out there by ourselves with her mom. I was able to finally get our boat over to shore and we had to walk back. Didn't really know how far away we were. Walked the shoreline, had Emily on my shoulders, kept close to the shore the entire time. Figured we wouldn't get lost that way. I really wasn't too worried, but... The sun started sinking and I wasn't gaining any confidence that we were going to get back before the end of the day. And uh, we spotted our cabin just at sunset across the marsh um, and also just as the mosquitoes were preparing for a night out. And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but as that sun was getting lower and my concern was growing about getting stranded, Emily was having fun. That's right. And I haven't looked back yet. Since I was a kid, we've been doing paddling trips all throughout Quetico Provincial Park in Canada. We've gone winter camping in the Boundary Waters. I through hiked the Pacific Northwest Trail. We've gone canoeing in the BWCA. In 2019, we hiked Death March simply because we like the name of it. We truly enjoy the solitude that the wilderness provides, and we really do go for those tougher routes. Yeah, we do. We, we find a lot of fun in those. And uh, like Emily said, Death March in Quetico 2019, well, 2020, COVID interrupted our plans. 2021, same thing, border closed till August. She was hiking the PNT. So now it's 2022 and we choose Wabakimi, Wabakimi Provincial Park. And uh, we chose it because apparently sees only about 700 backcountry visitors a year and it's 2.3 million acres. That's as much wilderness as Quetico and the Boundary Waters combined. Took a float plane in and we paddled out down the Kapka River for 10 days. That was the plan anyway. The Kapka wasn't necessarily our first choice, but our outfitter said, you know, you want remote, you want solitude, do the Kapka, 
uh, you can do the easy stuff another year. We do tend to take some tougher routes because that's where fewer people go. But our style is honestly pretty straightforward. We like to brick camp most days, but we don't race through things. We try to take in our surroundings, like the shape of clouds. One year we saw a spider literally spinning a web across the middle of a lake. Uh, This past trip, we trapped a toad swimming in the middle of a lake. And we don't have to talk during those moments. We like the quiet. We enjoy that. And we're comfortable with those long stretches of not talking. A river trip like the Kafka means a few things. One is that everyone who might be paddling the river will be heading in the same direction. So anyone who might be in the same area that you are will be probably moving at the same pace and then lessening the chance for the complete solitude that we look for. I didn't think about that heading into this, did you? You know, no. I mean, I. it was the first day when I thought about it. The day that we were on that little island, it was our first camp. It was hard to find a place to pitch a tent, if you remember. I mean, the woods are so thick. And we found an island with a little place, a piece of rock where we could we could set up our tent. The sun is getting low in the sky and we see these four canoes in the distance And a few minutes later, they were up by the island. They were passing by nine guys in four canoes. Clearly, they were looking for a place to camp. And that is when it hit me. And now I'm thinking from that point, I'm looking over my shoulder, like who could be coming up behind us? Or I'm looking ahead and I'm wondering, where are these four canoes? Did they just frighten away a moose that we might have otherwise seen? It was kind of stressful. The first few days were easy. It was a lot of paddling through lakes. But on the fourth day, that's when the rapids began. We were mostly lining rapids, which is just a fancy way of saying we were walking our canoe through the rapids with a rope tied to each end. It was pretty straightforward, but every now and then we couldn't see in front of us because of the rushing water. So you could go from having the water hitting your ankles to taking a step and all of a sudden you were chest deep in the water. There was one point in the rapids I remember where I had grabbed onto a log for support and after I'd put my weight on it, the log snapped. I went all the way down. I scraped up my knees. I scraped up my hand, my arm. Thankfully, my dad was still holding the rope on the other end of the canoe. Um, But it can get a little hairy out there sometimes in the rapids. It also rained almost every single day that week. Anything from a light thunderstorm to heavy rain where we were considering pulling over because we didn't know how bad the thunder or lightning was going to get. And once you enter these series of rapids, you have to finish because there's nowhere to stop in between, meaning there's nowhere to camp. And sometimes there's not even a place to pull over and have lunch. So once you start, you're pretty committed to it. 
So it sounds kind of difficult. (laughs) (laughs) This might be a good time to ask you, why do you like these trips? I, I think that's a great question. I mean, for one, their tradition and a great one at that. I really, truly love doing these trips with you. And I think it's weird to not do them. Those two years with the borders closed, it was pretty odd not to to have that time together. I think I've been saying for quite a while that these trips are the thing I look forward to every single year. And also, I feel like it's the only opportunity or one of the only opportunities I have every year to truly find that solitude and that uh, quiet that we talked about. You know, it didn't start out as dad-daughter camping. We were going to go as a family. And uh, your mom suggested that you and I just go, and we did, and we had a great time. And we had a great time the second year, and we had a great time the third year. And by then, she was rethinking, thinking maybe she should go. But by that time, it it really had become dad-daughter camping. And, and it's blossomed into something bigger than just camping. You know, it's more about family relationships. And And I also probably think about these trips a little bit differently than you do. I mean, I'm not going to be doing them for another 40 years like you can. So every trip, every day on every trip matters a lot to me. I just enjoy our quiet time together uh, and uh, our unexpected adventures, like, like on this trip. I'm a stud! Whoa, baby. I went through that whole thing. Didn't stop. Should have seen me dance around these two down trees. <laughs> Climbed over one, went to my right, walked backward over the second one because I couldn't turn the canoe around. Climbed over that. These are high too, right? These are not like just step over. These are three feet off the ground. And then kept going. It was good to take the packs first because I knew where to get up on slightly firmer ground instead of getting stuck in the muck. But once I got past the two really difficult down tree areas, I was going for it. I made it. I'm pretty proud. Wow, you were uh, really feeling yourself on that portage, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, all the portages on our trip were strewn with down trees, lots of boulders. There's like destruction in there. So yeah, I was I was feeling pretty invincible. Um, and um, you didn't think I was gonna get through to the other end without stopping, did you? Whoa, whoa, whoa! I never said that. No, no. <laughs> I think you did. Maybe. But in any case, yeah, I was feeling it and uh, it probably didn't serve me uh, too well to uh, have that uh, frame of mind later in the trip. Maybe not too much. Following that, it just got tougher. We ended up lining rapids, walking through portages, all in the rain. It ended up raining for one full day straight. 
uh, absolutely just torrential rains. It was really exhausting, a very long, long day. We set up our tent in the rain. We split a granola bar for dinner. Everything seemed to be wet. It was, it was a feel, tough day. How do you feel about that? How do you feel oh, about that rain? <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a fan of being super wet on trips, but as long as my sleeping bag is dry, uh, my mental health is pretty intact. I remember we sort of had to take turns getting into the tent because when it's raining, there's no way to sort of, you know, okay, I'm going to dry off. I have one or two pairs of clothes. I don't have really anything to change into. It's freezing. So I want as many layers. Yeah. On yeah. As the possible. temperature, I, I think the temperature dropped, dropped, dipped into the high fifties that day. Yeah. Yeah. It was cold and the rain just made it colder. And I remember when I finally did get into the tent, I was manically scrubbing the sides of it with paper towel, trying to keep any, even just condensation out of the tent to keep my sleeping bag dry. That was that was my safe spot. <laughs> <laughs> but in the tent, thinking back on it, it, it was a pretty good day, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. You take out the rain and we honestly did have a good day. It's been a it's been a pretty cool day. So it started out hot. We got a pretty early start and it was hot. But not long after that, we heard thunder. And then the rain came and it rained all day. It never stopped. Yeah, so we spent the whole day paddling in the rain and lining rapids and crossing portages. (laughs) And eating in the rain and uh, setting our tent up in the rain Uh, has been awesome. (laughs) However, we saw a moose, a big mama cow, and a calf, and that was absolutely fantastic. We had just exited a long series. Well, our whole day was lining rapids and portaging around them and running a few of them, which was fun. Paddling slowly and talking about it, came around a bend. And there was a big moose right there in the water. And uh, she was eating, I guess. It just all happened so fast. And uh, my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, she's so close. She's going to stampede and run into our canoe. And she was close. And her calf, she took off for the shore. And uh, it was cool. We just watched. Besides all of that, besides the rain, seeing those two moose was epic. We've... Never seen moose on a canoe trip before, and to see them so close was just awesome. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you there. And and uh, so yeah, you know, it was a it was a tough day, but they they got tougher. Our next day was really long, and I remember being exhausted at the end of it. We didn't uh, weren't sure exactly where we were going to camp, but we wanted to get close to. The entryway to what was going to be by far the most difficult stretch of our trip. That night, it rained. Oh, we got a heavy thunderstorm. The next morning, remember we looked across the lake. We saw some people way across the lake looking through the binoculars, and uh, we were thought we thought they were those guys. Yeah, in the, canoe. the the quad we called them. Yeah, yeah, we. You came up with a good nickname, the Quad. So it was the four canoes, nine guys. We thought they were there. And we wanted to get into this last stretch 
ahead of them, if possible, because on the other side of this long day was an island we wanted to camp on. It's like day eight, right? And we're going to get to this island and we're going to have two days of just picking blueberries, swimming mm-hmm. and relaxing because we're going to be close to another trip at this point. And so we set out. We see these guys across the lake through binoculars. They're still there. And we think, all right, they're behind us. And we hit it. We hit it pretty hard. So we got through that first portage all right, but it was on the second one where the trip took a turn. So we're heading into this second one. It's a it's 300 yards. And uh, like on all of these, because they were so difficult, we took our packs across first. That's not typically what we do. I usually, or you usually put the canoe up and go. We come back if we have to for the rest of the gear. On this trip, we've been taking gear first to scout things because we just really never knew how bad it was going to be. Um, we did that here and uh, took it down uh, right before uh, the end of the this particular portage. Uh, just dropped straight down, maybe 10 or 12 feet. And uh, you've got to uh, hand stuff down from there um, because you just can't climb down carrying gear. And so... Um, we saw that we, we got our packs down and uh, then we went back and uh, that's when I grabbed the canoe. So I'm heading back with the canoe now and I'm getting close to where I know I'm going to need to put it down. I'm walking slowly. I'm picking my steps carefully. Everything is wet and I know it's slippery. I can only see down in front of me just a little bit because I've got the canoe up over my shoulders and I see an area where I want to finish and put this down. Um, the thing is, though, between me and that area, it w- there was a rock. It was a small rock. So I really needed to step there and then put the canoe down two steps, technically, to take and put the canoe down. A voice in my head said, just put it down right here. The other voice in my head, you know that one. Uh, it said, you can do this. And, you know, we've been doing it the whole trip. We've been getting through the hard parts and it was all going great. And so I listened to the bad voice. I stepped on that rock. I went down immediately, knee first, and I knew it was bad. I remember when I came around that switchback and I first saw you. And it's the sort of thing where you can kind of remember it in slow motion, even though it happened over the course of a, a couple seconds. I remember I saw you, you were sitting down. I thought, okay, he's waiting for me. It's okay. And I immediately afterward saw you just clutching your knee. And I came up, I said, are you okay? What's wrong? What happened? You said something like, I don't know. I'm not sure. And I followed up with, can you see bone? Yeah. I remember that because, uh, that was, I was not looking for bone. Um, I was just worried about, you know, could I move? Uh, and, and it was bleeding. Blood was, spurting out of my knee when I moved my leg 
every time I would move my leg just a little bit, blood would spurt. This was a gash. First step was stop the bleeding. And I certainly didn't know what to do. We had a small emergency first aid kit. There was no stitches or stitching in there. We had some antibacterial cream in there, a couple small band-aids, and that was about it. Well, we did have bandages, which is good. We had that gauze. I don't want to get infected here, so I wrapped it one time with gauze. Then I slathered some antibiotic ointment on top of that, and then I continued to wrap it, put the ace bandage around, and just kind of got it tight. Um, so I wouldn't be bending my knee too much. And, and so uh, you wouldn't keep bleeding. Right. Because it exactly. was really bleeding. Yeah. 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 Because if I did bend my knee, it would bleed, but just like spurt out. So, yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I don't really remember what happened next. Probably took a deep breath and then just got up and uh, I was like, okay, I, I can do this. I don't you tried bending it. You could bend it. So it didn't seem like it didn't was seem broken. broken. Right. Yeah. So we, we gather up our gear uh, and uh, I, I very slowly climbed down that 10 or 12 foot straight drop uh, and you uh, you handed gear down to me. We got, got it down. The rest of it, we got into the canoe and uh, sat down, just took a deep breath. And I remember you saying, you asking if I was all right. <laughs> And uh, I still didn't know. But what I did know is um, how many more did we have ahead of us? What uh, That was our second. Sure. And we had six portages on that day. And remember, this is the day that we were thinking of for the entire trip, because this was the day with the hardest portage of the entire trip and the ones that were lined with those skulls. How many portages do we have left now? Well, your accident happened on the second one. And on that day, we had six portages to do, including one that we had been thinking about the entire trip. This was the one portage that was talked about as being extremely difficult. And we still had that ahead of us. I think the next one was a small one. I, I managed through that, you know, that one fine. I carried gear. Um, I, I might have even carried the canoe on that one. And then we had another really uh, big one. So we finished this portage. We were hiking down to the end. And what do we see at that point? The quad. Yeah, the quad. They were in front of us. Not behind us like we thought. Now we're coming into the toughest, the toughest portage of the trip. It's our last tough one. They're in front of us. Now, there's two ways you can go around this major waterfall. To the left or to the right. We see them go to the right. And we're not going to catch them no matter what. But, you know, I don't know. I guess in the back of the mind, my mind, I thought maybe. So we went to the left. Which was the more difficult option out of the two. By far. This is the steepest portage in the world, maybe? I don't know. There's a rope tied to a tree up here at the top. Descends down to another tree. And what you need to do is probably, first of all, have climbing gloves. Second, some climbing experience. And then you're basically gonna rappel down this cliff, which is 30 or 40 feet. 
to get to some flatter ground where you can then get down to more flat ground in the water. In the decade of canoe trips that I've been going on with you, I've never seen a portage look anything like that. It was um, it was something. And um, so we turned turned around, went to the other route. This one was epic in its own way. The last hundred yards, we had to descend a boulder hill, literally a hill of boulders. And I was on one leg at this point and we had to carry our gear. You carried all the gear down and I waited and uh, my knee was really starting to hurt now. And uh, we had to carry the canoe together. So when you got back and we were ready to do that, we each grabbed an end and we went down this boulder hill one step at a time. It took us about two hours to get down this boulder hill. And now I am starting to think about the remaining sunlight because we've got another lake to cross, a long lake and another portage. And, uh, that's before we get to our camp. So um, we make it though. And on the last portage, I didn't carry anything. At this point, I can't carry anything. And I've got a stick, I've got a paddle that I'm using as a, a an aid to help me walk. And you carry everything through this portage. Um, we get to the other side and we find this island. We do find a place to camp and we pitched our tent. Now it was decision time. Well, I slipped and fell and gashed my knee today. I want to go back now to where our story started and listen to what you had to say in the tent that night. We were uh, we were just coming out of um, we were coming out of a very tough portage, and it was right before the toughest portage. Rocks were slippery. I've never seen boulder strewn. In fact, we got to one point where it was a boulder field. You, you have to look for markers to know which way to go. So I was being very, very careful picking, choosing every step. And the step I slipped on, I told myself I probably shouldn't take that one. And I didn't listen to myself. I went down and uh, hit my knee really hard. I don't think I broke anything. Um, it's pretty bruised, but I do have a deep gash in it and uh, it's not going to heal on its own. So, so we're going to have to go in early. A couple of days... Um, a couple of days too early. We'll make the whole trip, but, uh, you know, we have to come in a little early, which, which I'm really disappointed about. At what point did you decide you had to get out? Well, when I redressed the wound and it was still bleeding... I actually remember when you did that, and I myself remember watching you take that first bandage off and thinking, it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. But even with 
that accident that happened, I still had an amazing time and we had some fun at the health clinic back in Armstrong near the Outfitters and we got to spend a couple of days in Grand Marais. So overall, yeah. it was it was an amazing trip. Yeah. No, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, the clinic in Armstrong was was kind of funny. The doctor was, uh, remember that he was out of town. I mean, he was out of town somewhere for a few days at another clinic. And the only person there who could potentially help me was a midwife. Uh, they did call a couple of EMTs in and they came in with all their gear. And it seemed like such a big deal. It was kind of funny. And they were super nice people. Uh, ultimately, uh, I decided at that point not to get uh, stitches. I was just going to go without them. Got home. Um, it did uh, seem infected to the doctor. I, I got uh, some antibiotics. I got an x-ray. Turned out I had a, a chip fracture um, in my knee. Like you said, you know, in the end, it was a great trip filled with uh, some fabulous memories. And I, I relearned a few things. Like what? Listen to your gut and don't do stupid stuff in the wilderness. Okay, I'm holding you to that for next time. I have to tell you, Matthew, my knee hurt when I was listening to Scott talk about his experience. Absolutely. Not not necessarily if anybody's a bit squeamish. Uh, I'm glad you made it through to this part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, you know, I, it is not what you ever expect to have happen on a trip. Mm-hmm. You never go into it thinking... What are we going to do if something gets messed up? Yep. But it's a good thing to think about, and it's a it's a good thing to be able to be okay with things changing. We've heard some of our episodes have been about that when uh, Kevin the K-Man Kramer and I were out, and we had to modify our plans due to a, kind of a work situation that one of us on that trip experienced. wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then... When we went ice fishing last winter with uh, Eric Dickus and Josh Dix, uh, we had to modify those plants with the slush, and I f- kind of fell into you the did slush. Fall in. Yeah, like we've had some experiences, not to the extent of of Scott with his knee, but uh, some some changing of the plants. You get this idea: this is what the trip's going to be, and it isn't. Yep, and and that can be any number of mishaps. Things, you know, accidents are called accidents because you don't expect them, and mishaps are the same thing and it's really amazing thank you to scott and emily for sharing their trip that included a mishap Mm -hmm. because it happens all the time yeah thank you scott and emily for uh putting that together and sharing your story with us on the podcast can't wait to see them in madison at canoe copia in march which is like two months away absolutely and i do want to give a huge shout out to emily who put a lot of time and energy and scott too uh to actually put this piece together, that that is an honor. And we haven't gotten many opportunities to do that. Uh, Maybe only a handful where a listener had the skills and the motivation, the desire to actually produce an episode. So let us know what you think. We'll pass that feedback on to Emily. She'd be happy to hear if you like the episode that she put together. And if you don't want to email us, come tell us at Canucopia. We'll be at our booth. (laughs) That's right. 
Well, let me be the first to say, uh, or the second, or in unison with you, I liked what Emily did. Thank you for putting that together, Emily. It's great. Also, I don't know if it's too early. Is it too early to plug our presentation at Canucopia? Plug it, dude! Well, speaking of putting together stuff for the podcast or any storytelling, Joe and I are going to be presenting about documenting your Boundary Waters trips. That's right. And... If you want to learn how to do that, whether it's for your own storytelling or even for the podcast, mm-hmm. there'd be a great time to connect with you and to talk about that whole component that we don't ever get into, really, on, on the podcast itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, how do you... What we hear from a lot of people is, you guys really go out there that often? Yeah, we do, but we have the advantage of living here. But if you want to capture that experience... Sure, maybe for the podcast or another podcast, or just to have as a audio diary to share with your kids in 20 years or your friends at the next time you see them, or you can email it to them, whatever, or just for yourself to remember the trip. We'll help you with it. It's going to be a lot of fun, very interactive. Uh, you know, we're going to be engaging with the crowd. So come check it out at Canoe Copia this year. Matthew and I are presenting at Canoe Copia. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we will try our best not to injure our knees or our <laughs> our uh, heads, heads, or hands, feet. That's the money makers. So all of those things. We got a long winter ahead of us. <laughs> oh, no. It's just getting started. <laughs> I just sing when I paddle through, feeling not thinking if the strokes are true. We're gonna get through to the other side. Out in the night the waves beat the shore You can hear them pounding, you can hear them roar Roll me, rock me in my dreams You can roll me, rock me in my dreams So I like to sing, I love to dance I play the fool if I got the chance All around the campfire light All around Campfire light All round, all round, all round The campfire light 